Well, doesn't time fly? Here we are. Powerful Nonsense, the podcast. Episode 25. Oh, yeah. We are halfway. No, not halfway. Quarter of the way. God, bad maths. Quarter of the way to our centenary episode. And to celebrate, I'm wearing some new shoes. <laughs> He's got new shoes. Uh, it's a good upgrade. Um, I, I was I was saying they look a little bit like uh, Puss in Boots boots, to be honest. Yeah. I, I well, the next thing I'm buying is is a little hat, so I can hold it and do the little cute cute eyes when somebody's disappointing me. And then I'm going to get a little little sword and uh, develop a Spanish accent. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode twenty-five. Um, it's another interview episode. It's coming out on a regular basis. I'm liking this. And this particular interview is very, very good. Not to say that the others weren't. They were also amazing. But, uh, yeah, if you're feeling a little bit down or if you're kind of thinking, I wish life was a little bit better, this is the interview for you. We are talking to James Lambert. A guy who went from punching people in the face without gloves. And without being beaten. Unbeaten. He's a bit of a machine, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so he's gone from... Being, what else would he do? He was in he's a, a mixed gang. martial artist. He bouncer. was a bouncer. He he's run a hundred and one marathons. Yeah, he's a badass, very basically, and he's now a happiness coach, and he's got a lot of experience and a lot to say. And thankfully, a very happy sounding guy as well. Proper nice, which guy. you kind of want from a happiness coach. Definitely. So uh, yeah, we'll jump right in. It's a great interview, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you after the interview. So without further ado, Mister James Lambert. So, hello, welcome James Lambert. Nice to have you on the show. Lovely, no, lovely to be here, guys. Thank you very much for your time. You're uh, welcome, thank you. First of all, could you um, introduce who you are and tell us just a little bit about yourself, a bit of your backstory? Absolutely, yes. Well, my name's James, James Lambert. Um, today, I'm an, uh, a motivational speaker, an author, a happiness expert. I am a personal, qualified personal trainer and a bit of an entrepreneur you know I dabble in different things and I also try and fundraise in whatever spare time I've got so I'm very much about giving back to the community and fundraising for causes that are dear to my heart uh that wasn't always the case though chaps because um part of my past to put it in context I am a former unbeaten bare knuckle boxer uh unlicensed uh, sorry bare knuckle fighter unlicensed boxer mixed martial artist and bouncer so I was immersed actually in a, um, a world of negativity, violence and anger. I was a profoundly unhappy person. I uh, grew up in South East London, um, born in Lewisham, raised in Catford, specifically very urban environment, very fast, very aggressive. And um, it's been a very interesting journey, but I'm happy to say that I've taken that, the pain of the past and used it to uh, create a very positive persona for myself and hopefully others through the work I do, my writing and talking and so forth today. So that that's it in a very condensed nutshell. There's a lot there to work with. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, yes. The, the first sort of thing we really want to find out, I mean, today speaking to you, you're like a super happy guy. Like, how, how do you go from punching people in the face um, without gloves to actually trying to make the world a happier place? Like, what happens? Yeah. What, what change happens? Indeed, no, it's a, a very astute question. Indeed, it's not, um, I'm often asked this, that there wasn't, as it were, an epiphany or like a single defining moment. 
it's actually been years. I mean, I wish I could say that. That would be a, it. Would be a, a lie, quite blatantly, and it would be um, it would be excusing and glossing over the enormous amount of hard work it has taken. And indeed, it's an ongoing process, chaps. Uh, as I say, I'm a human being. I'm not a robot. I still have fleeting emotions of, as we all do, of whether it be displeasure at others, lack of courtesy, rudeness. But the point being, I. I worked on myself, as I say, so there was thousands of hours of interest, self-introspection, looking at myself, you know, attending seminars, reading thousands of books, self-taught, and just looking at, you know, my place in the world and who and what I wanted to stand for. So it, it's been a long journey, chaps, and it's ongoing, but basically it, it, was, it was a process. It was a process whereby I realised a lot of my behaviour and habits they were not who I truly wanted to be. And so basically this has been an unfolding of who I have wanted to become, which is a happier person, more loving at heart. But indeed, I was I was frightened to to let the world see that that side of me because because I was scared. Effectively, I was scared and, and I covered that by, you know, gnashing my, my teeth at the world and snarling, being aggressive. But, but, that, but that was hiding a lot of fear. So. Well, one thing I um, because I got I bought your book recently, and um, one thing I saw that you said in there was that you you kind of felt like you was always fighting against authority. Could you talk a little bit about that and why you felt that way? Thank you. You know, specifically, which which book was that, my friend? Because I have got a few out there now. That was the um, How to Be Happy in Twenty Four Hours. Wonderful. Yes. Um, sorry, just repeat the question, please. It was. It was just about the fact that I think you said that you kind of felt like you was always fighting authority or you always felt like you didn't quite fit in to like the kind of general system. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, no, well, as I say, I mean, I, in my life, I've actually, we often joke about it now, but it's as if I came out fighting. I was born, I think it was as much as seven and a half weeks premature. Oh, wow. I was um, I was taken immediately from my mum. There was no bonding. I was placed in the incubator for the next two months and that very set the tone as I look back for my alienation from others. I was, um, as I say, snatched from my mother at that time, fighting for my life. And the fight continued into nursery. Uh, I, very, I very distinctly remember my first day of um, preschool in those old Wendy houses, if you remember, chaps, you know, when you're making mm. the pretend cups of tea. And I remember some boy come bowling over and just push me, you know, he wanted the little teacup. And I remember at that age, you know, we're talking about three and a half, four chaps. I made, I made a, all in the space of, you know, a nanosecond, but I made a decision, you know, I, I'm not going to back down, you know, that that's not the way it's going to be. So, of course, you know, I, I retrieved the, the teacup, but the point being was that it <laughs> got, was... Got away on your tricycle. Indeed, <laughs> a quick escape. But, but the point being was I made, I made a decision. This is very interesting that I made a decision that... It was quite apparent to me that you could be a wolf or a sheep and I wasn't going to be a sheep for anyone. And therein lay, lied the problem because growing up in South East London, kindness, it was certainly seen as weakness. Now, I hate that, but it was what it was. You know, we can't we can't we can't flee from that. And so as as I as I fought back both against others, against authority, against anyone that was constricting me or, you know, I was always very creative and outspoken. 
anyone that I think was looking to sully that or to, to confine that, which of course, you know, I don't know if we've got time to get into this chat, but, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, education at its worst doesn't promote or, you know, at its worst, as I repeat, doesn't promote free thinking. And I felt that I felt very stifled by that at an early age. And, um, and then, as I say, as I got older, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I've been told allegedly there's some, Good, good ones. But, you know, I, I, I had the terrible misfortune to meet very, very corrupt sort of police and people in authority. These were people that weren't doing things well. And so, of course, that, that does, you can't help but, you know, one's, one's ideals and opinions are moulded by what one sees. And, uh, and again, just very quickly, chaps, uh, I remember, again, I wasn't any... Any older than five years of old, you have to, five years of age, you have to remember. So a tiny little person, and outside of my immediate nuclear family, my headmaster, Mr. Lyons, was of course like God to me, a huge, very, a very early authority figure, and he was a very vicious man, a bully. As I now look back on it, unfortunately, and he took great pleasure in making little people cry, and I remember it was always a point of pride to me that I would never allow that to happen publicly, and he used to poke you very hard with his hand in the chest trying to elicit a response but as I say a very sadistic man and I remember at five years of age him poking me very very hardly in the chest and emphasizing each strike by saying James you are a bad boy and nothing good will become of you this was at five years of age chaps now of course as an adult I can now see that the man was clearly disturbed and somewhat but at that age it goes in and it goes in deep so because you know that 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 it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy i thought i was bad the good the good things i did in school were ignored and i only got recognition when i did something allegedly bad or i acted up and this was very very sad because again it set it compounded the problem and again you, you alluded to very astutely the alienation it created this divide like a them and us mindset most unfortunate, but uh, that, that's what happens. Yeah, I can I can kind of see why why uh, that sort of um, scenario at such a young age had a had a kind of um, roll on effect. I'd like to actually, um, if I may, just go back onto onto something that you mentioned um, uh, a minute or two ago about um, education at its worst, um, because. You know, uh, our regular listeners will know that we're very passionate about education and there's this new movement in the world uh, basically saying that education as it, as it stands now is broken. It's um, it, it's kind of it, it's stuck in the old days. And I'd just like to kind of know what you what you kind of think about that. Well, absolutely. Um, as I say, at, at its best, there is nothing better than I see it in, in quite distinct things. And then you have education. And as it as it is in its current paradigm, which I think is obsolete at best, you have learning for its own sake and you have this like parrot-like repetition where something is only really learnt for an exam. And I believe if you are only learning to tick boxes, you are fundamentally in trouble. Now, on the other side, the great learning, the Socrates of the past, now they were about, whether said or um, spoken or not, self-improvement. Now, therein, that knowledge, education, learning, 
to improve oneself at that that is um learning at its best unfortunately as i've alluded to under the current paradigm you have an obsolete outdated system and quite frankly we you know we update our phones more regularly than we've looked at the educational system which is um a profound nonsense but no i i believe i believe in learning of course i do mm-hmm. i um I, there is a there is a need for school schooling there's a, a need for learning but again i put personally don't like the learning by rote fashion and particularly the subjects in which I studied. I'm a greater fan of life skills, generic life skills, because, you know, I could tell you Pythagoras' theorem at 15 and I could not be a productive member of society. So this is there's a fundamental flaw in that. So I I can learn, you know, I can leave school quoting the times tables and and so on, but I can't do the basic. I can't manage my rent. I can't live peaceably with myself or others. These are fundamental life skills, my friend. And I think there is a juncture in in education where that needs to be looked at and integrated. Definitely totally agree with you on that. Um, One thing I want to talk about, you were saying how you um, obviously came from quite a rough area. I like is it actually possible to be happy in that kind of environment where environment you can't control, you can't control the people around you? Absolutely. It's a fantastic question. Well, if interestingly enough, um, your, your listeners may be in this very situation themselves, but my, my previous answer to that in my other lifetime, as I call it, I would have said no. And I would have said that with true belief in that. I was the sort of person that angrily blamed, looked out at my environment. I blamed the government. I'd point at the the other you know, gang members. I'd point at the violent aggressors on the street. And I'd say they are the problem. They are the problem. Pointing aggressively them, not realising that three of my own fingers are pointing back at me in self-condemnation. Now, the short answer to that is yes, I now know. One can definitely be happy in the most direst of situations and you don't have to take my word of it you just have to have a brief look at the news there were people in angolas in mine dire poverty a war type scenarios chaps and yet they are displaying kindness generosity and love so it is not the environment per se that 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 um that defines your levels of happiness but how you think about that i mean a great poet once said milton you know man can make a heaven of hell and the hell of heaven and that's all about one's mindset and indeed i did it myself because you know i traveled the world been to some beautiful locations maldives and jamaica stunning was i any happier no because james lambert was unhappy so i could travel to paradise but the unhappiness traveled with me conversely now i'm a happier person i go back to these places i go back to help as a mentor to men caught up in violence and gang intervention projects and i carry the happiness because it's within not without you spoke about the gang gang projects you worked on i was just wondering like what sort of common mindset problems do you see amongst these people lack of self-belief it is it is i mean there are of course you know there are a myriad of issues but but if i had to call one a lack of self-belief in their innate worth. You know, I, I struggled it myself. When you feel like a piece of shit, you know, when you feel worthless, when you think that, you know, you cannot do who am I to achieve? Who am I to earn a great amount of money or, or certainly not legally? This, this malaise will, of course, present itself in, in, in a myriad of problems, including uh, drug abuse, alcoholism, uh, for, you know, abuse against others, bullying, violence, etc., etc., etc. This all stems from a fundamental lack of self-worth. 
Conversely, when one feels better about oneself, you start treating yourself more kindly, eating better. We can get into later looking after oneself. You know, people allude to levels of consciousness, but it stems from, as I say, how you feel about yourself. You know, going back to Maslow's uh, pyramidic, you know, on the bottom you have just bare existence, surviving, at the top thriving. You know, when you are just surviving, when you are just getting by, of course, you know, one's self-worth is not very high up on one's list of priorities. So it's, it's, it's a huge thing. But yeah, in a nutshell, my friend, it would be a lack of self-worth. So why do you think um, there is this uh, huge uh, lack of self-worth? Like you mentioned before, um, you know, like pointing the finger at other people and like it's their fault. And so the kind of victim mentality or or uh, the kind of feeling of being an underdog, is it due to maybe like uh, the media, government statistics, things like that? Or is it or is it something else entirely? Do you think? Well, it, it's. Oh, I think it's a number of things. There is no. There is, as in all of these things, there is no one clear-cut, identifiable answer. Because as we are all different, we all have different presenting uh, challenges and problems. But but one of the things I think is fundamentally, again, going back to look at our learning and our current mindset, as it were, is the external validation we seek. So we are taught from a very early age that you are. You know, even but the words we use, you know, you have a merit. So you are based on award. And what's that based on? Achievement. Who gets to decide that? So the winner is, you know, the winner of the race, the, the, the person that gets the A plus. He's trumped, he's heralded as a triumph and the other is not. It, it, so, so it sets in very early chaps, this lack of self-worth. You're not worth anything if you don't achieve. Hang on a minute, though, chaps. Who gets to define that achievement? I believe achievement is being a good person, being a great upstanding member of one's community, you know, being kind, helping others. How do you define that? How do you define that under the current school system? You don't. And therefore, a person who otherwise is good, caring and kind leaves thinking they're worthless. This is a problem. Definitely. I think, like you say, where people are always sort of chasing the next accolade. And I think that's one of the things that I think everybody has suffered from. How how do you think like um, kind of being a lot of people are kind of addicted to the potential happiness in the future? Like once I get that A grade. Once I get that um, girlfriend or once I start that business, a lot of people kind of base their happiness in the future. How, how, what do you think about that? That is just a superb point. Deferred happiness, I call it. I've done it most of my life. I'd be happy when I got that Yamaha R6 red, black and white superbike. <laughs> Woohoo! I got it. <laughs> yes, indeed, I was very happy. The thrill wears off. Okay, never mind. I'll be happy when I get my 10th gold chain, when I get my next watch, when I get the list goes on. But of course, it, we're never happy in the now. And this in itself, chaps is another another whole thing but this is the thing with deferred happiness whether it's the past you know mulling over our past glories or holidays or friends good times or what's to come the future all of which are fundamentally an illusion because they're not in the here and now and this is this is a general worldwide malaise and again it's promoted very cleverly uh, like, like in marketing, because, you know, b- b- under the current paradigm, again, and it's not just beating up capitalism, but if it's always about consuming, you know, and then the next upgrade of phone and one's TV, a bigger TV, a newer car, more powerful, another holiday, you see, you're always, you will be chasing it by, by virtue. And again, the Buddhists allude to like the middle way, which is about, in essence, C 
seeking balance. So I think that's 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 a very good place to start. And the best place to start is being present with oneself and those around you today, uh, as we're doing at this moment, chaps, through this conversation. Definitely. I think like you said there about the um, like Buddha having balance, a lot of people say who might come up to you be like, oh, are you happy all the time? Like, how can I be happy all the time? Like, what are the dangers of actual extreme happiness? Well, you see, no, this is a very, this is another juncture where we come off because I like, and recently I wrote about that, that happiness, if you like, in my analogy, is akin to the clouds in the sky. Now they're fleeting. That's just but one weather condition, which of course can change because clouds on a glorious summer's day can be white and fluffy, lovely. On another day, they can be seemingly threatening, very black, like one's mood, and threaten rain. So happiness is more likened, in my analogy, to a fleeting emotion. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now, joy, on the other hand, I liken that to the sky that's permanent that's unchanging that's always there regardless of what the weather sunny indifferent snowy cold is doing and i believe for what it's worth that joy is actually our truest most natural state we we have forgotten it most of us but but that's very different from happiness so yes you know the extreme happiness could be a danger therein if you are relying on things to make you happy of which they're innumerable because you know what makes you happy jim my friend is different to what makes james happy and different to what your all of your listeners make them happy but joy is a different state and that's unchanging so um yes you, you do have to beware and separate the two and they're seemingly at first very similar but now i believe joy is unchanging like the sky that's the very essence of each person unchanging and then you have happiness, which is fleeting, and it's just what, but another emotion, just as jealousy, bitterness, joy, uh, happiness, you know, and the like, like are. Definitely. Um, I heard a statistic on another podcast recently. It was about, like, how kids actually laugh 300 times a day, and an adult actually laughs on average around five times a day. And I know you're adding to my allowance because I see your Facebook jokes every day. How important do you think it is that people get their daily amount of laughs like how important is laughing uh, well I, i'm so glad I've, I, I've finally met the one person that enjoys my jokes i knew there was one person <laughs> out there that, that is extremely validating because although as i've alluded to earlier one shouldn't seek external validation it's nice to know somebody likes them so that's made my day but could you share one of your favorites oh, oh my favorites um what oh hang on let me get this right what did the policeman say to his stomach, you're no under a vest? <laughs> As you can see, they have their comedy, comedic effect because of the uh, cheesiness of them. <laughs> I, I, lo I love really, really cheesy jokes. They're some of my favourites. <laughs> so, so oh, actually, you're like this quickly. I'll just interject this. How do, um, how do NASA prepare for a party? Don't they know. plan it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just get better. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, so how important is laughing? Like, we just got a bit of a dose in there. Oh, laughter, my friends, is vital, and it's something, as you say, I believe as adults we get out of the habit of doing. So, I 
absolutely believe in it. And again, it's very useful as uh, modern science is now telling us that that for this like the placebo effect. So even if one doesn't feel happy, and of course you know you wake up, you don't, you may not. But if you know if you begin to smile, the, the by sheer you know for no reason as it were by by virtue of just smiling, you at your body begins to change state. It feels happier than it did previously. So you can even if you like fake yourself into uh, a better feeling state so no i'm i'm very much for for joy laughter happiness in all its forms and um yeah jokes certainly plays um it, it plays a part in that yes definitely um obviously you were saying that um a lot of your kind of journey towards being happier was kind of um building a core of self-worth like where do you start like when you're already feeling in your head like i've got nothing to give yeah, uh, again, a very good question, and it's it's one I take seriously because I've tried to to really identify those baby steps because, as you say, when you, when you are going through some stuff, and and it's not you know a lot of your listeners will be at the moment. I mean, life life is um is serious, yeah, and quite frankly, you know, no one gets out alive. So you know, there are there are <laughs> a lot of stuff going on, you know, and and I appreciate you know having been. As, as I now realise, in a depressed state myself, when you are in that black hole of despair, it, it, it's um, it's very difficult, difficult making that initial step towards improving oneself or, or even finding hope. Indeed, when you can't see the light, you can't find the light switch. But I, I think it's I mean, it was different for every for every you know every individual. For me, it was a gradual dawning that. That, you know, this was not how the story was going to end. Now, I don't know. Where you, I, be, I believe that's in there. And each person, I mean, the point at which their their break, so-called, uh, will be different. But, but I believe, don't be scared of that point, because indeed, I think that lovely poet Rumi said that, you know, the place where you're most cracked or damaged is where the light pours in. So what I realised is when I when I was at my lowest, it was almost like, oh, right, well, I've got nothing. You know, if this, you know, this is shit, this is terrible. So what have I got to fear? What have I got to fear by facing another day? And as I say, I, I, at its worst, I did give myself a bit of an ultimatum. So I thought, look. I, you know, quite frankly, I'm sick of the life as it is, you know, being this violent, this unhappy, this sad. So I've got to see, I've got to see, you know, what, what tomorrow will bring you. Because I, I wasn't going to just, you know, this this wasn't going to be the end, you know. So I think it, I think it is a process, but, but you discover, I, I believe you discover really what you're about once you get to your lowest point. There's just something in you. And, and as I say, you, you will find it, each individual will find it one, once they get there. But but it really is, it's sort of when your back's up against the wall, when the chips are really down, that, that inner warrior that I believe we've all got, if you've never thrown a punch in your life, it's there because you're just born with it. It's an innate part of your DNA. When your back's up against the wall, you've got nothing to lose, you, you've, you'll you find the strength needed. And um, it can be a very long journey, but it's one that, you know, you've, you, are, you, are, you are built to endure, you know? And obviously, you've kind of, um, as you say, you've you've gone from being essentially at rock bottom, as it were, to kind of being a, a now a, a happiness expert. Um, so, what would you say? Um, what kind of were or are happiness habits that you would uh, suggest people employ uh, just for for long term, really? Absolutely, I, I think it's very important energetically as well how you start the day. So. 
I liken it to like being if it was um like using the body analogy. So it's starting at the very top, at the brain, if you like, the head. That has to be self-sovereign, whereby the brain tells the body what not what to do, not vice versa. For example, chaps, chaps. What before? You know, I used to get all hungry, so I just give in to my appetite. And appetites, you know, as you know, can cover a whole gamut of things. We're talking about for men and and for some women, you know, you can have an appetite for for pornography, for for drink, for drugs, for lots of things that yes may bring you fleeting happiness, but leave you feeling emptier. This isn't religious or moralistic. I'm just saying, if you're honest. There are certain practices or habits you may currently have that after dabbling in them, you just don't feel great about yourself. And that's just being honest. So there are habits that you need to look at. So as I say, you need to be self-sovereign. So the mind needs to say, actually, I hear you, stomach, you're hungry, you want to give in to that. But actually, I override that because I'm self-sovereign. So use mind as master, never as servant. That starts at the top. And also through one's discipline, through one's right or correct thinking. So as I say, you know, that there's that voice we all have that talks very negatively. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're not good enough. That needs to be silenced. And it's it begins by re- re- replacing those those statements with positive ones, you know, affirmations as they're frequently called. But you need to start changing that and changing your self-talk because I realised that the story I was previously playing in my mind, you're not good enough, you're worthless, you're violent, you are a fighter. You see, I could change that. Hitherto, I didn't know that was possible. But once I started changing my internal story, lo and behold, my behaviours could follow suit. So starting at the top, get the mind as master, never as servant. Moving down to the mouthpiece, correct speech. Use your speech to uplift yourself and others. So do away with the swearing. Again, not moralistic. It's just in general. You know, I do it myself occasionally when I'm passionate. But in general, don't let you know, your every other word be F this, F that. It's low energy. It's negative. You know, uplift others. And as I was always told, a good, you know, old truism, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. So, you know, it's that simple common sense things, you know, moving down to one's heart, passion. Be passionate about what you do. You're not going to succeed. In, I mean, you two guys are great examples with this podcast. When you do something you're passionate about, you actually give a damn about, that is going to rise to the top. It's going to shine through. Conversely, you go into a business, you go into a relationship that you don't care about, it's going to suffer. It's going to suffer. And you, you can go on and on, chap. So, you know, it's... Good stuff. One thing you spoke about there was sort of negative self-talk. From a guy that's run 101 marathons, you must have some seriously positive good talk. Because I know when I'm running, my body's saying, stop. But you must have something that tells you, come on, we're nearly there. How the hell do you get that? That, I mean, that again, it's it's habit and repetition. You know, you know, people look at that, you know, how, how do you go about running 101 marathon? How do you do, do one? How do you do half? <laughs> one step at a time. And you go, oh, well, that's very obvious. But again, we want our truths dressed up in all exotic gold-laced ribbon. You know, some of these truths, they're so simple. Winston Churchill alluded to, we trip over them, a man gets up, dusts himself down and continues as if nothing happened. 
This is the trouble with us. They're hidden in plain sight, but they're so simple, people don't want to act on it. So all I do is I tell myself I can instead of I can't, and I take one step at a time, both figuratively and literally, in any endeavor I do. So in the 101 marathons, I kept going. Of course, on many of them, I was on some of the ultra ones I've done. I'm done in. But the only thing that my mind told me to continue, and as I said, by using mind as master, not as servant, because my mind was in charge my body had to follow suit if i listened to my body i would have checked out at mile one but that's no good that's what i'm saying when one incorporates the power of one's mind it's all over you know me and jem were before we hit record today we're trying to figure out roughly how much space was between each how much like time was between each marathon you ran so i wanted to know just on average how often were you running a marathon to do I believe I think technically it was it was just under I don't know, it was 1.85 but just under two a week I think how it balanced itself wow. out. But, but but yeah it was it was it was sustained mileage over over a year so it was it was it was a uh, very intense on the body I can't escape that but more so on the mind but again manageable and and I should say I mean the the caveat to this is it was it wasn't for this is a very important point in fact chaps for overall it's about developing one's why. You know, why are you going into what? Why, why are you pursuing that level, that course, that area of fitness, that work? You know, why? And for my why, it wasn't for myself. Again, I would have quit certainly after maybe the fifth or the sixth one. But I was doing it for my friend's son, who is unfortunately dying. He's got a muscle wasting disease, as we know, the heart's a muscle. Um, so... And, and he, he expressed an interest to go to Disney World in, in Florida, and um, with respect, the, the the mother, Vicky's a stay-at-home mum, and she's got two other children. So only the father, my friend John, works. And, you know, he'd need several lifetimes just to get the deposit. So I said, look, please allow me to run, to, to, to commit myself to 101 marathons. And hopefully by making that that rather foolish, but, but you know, sort of big example, we can raise the necessary funds to go. Long and short of it, I completed the 101 marathons. They did go to Disney World in December last year. I had a super time. And, you know, whatever happens at the end, they're going to always have those memories that no one can take away. So, but the point being, right. I had a very, very strong why, chaps. So when I went wanted to quit, and I would, if it was just for me, I thought of Noah. I thought of his, his family. And again, I encourage you and your listeners, if you really want to get something done, you want to go to the next level in your business you want you want to lose maybe a couple more pounds or bulk up get a strong why in place that's going to get you up early when you want to just roll over and hit the snooze button that's going to make you go out when it's too hot or it's too cold you know ad infinitum whatever excuse you want you need a strong why and and sometimes i'm just gently alluding to the fact that doing it for someone other than yourself that's a good place to start definitely congratulations on that yeah well done um, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I think a lot of people miss out. I mean, people are always kind of looking at the um, the end goal, but I think there can be like a lot of enjoyment actually in that struggle. Like, I'm sure you were like excited that you're getting your 50 marathons through. Like, talk about how people can kind of learn to kind of enjoy that journey a little bit more. Uh, it's such a superb point because therein lies the thing. Again, as you uh, you referenced earlier, with this deferred happiness, always thinking about the end result, what we actually forget is the great pleasure to be taken in the self-improvement along the way to one's goal 
attainment. And therein, the true masters know, is where the real excitement, the real magic, the real alchemy of change occurs. It's in the very struggle to get to the top. And, and, and as I say, I experienced that through not just the, the running, the, the 101 marathons, the ultra running, but certainly in my previous training as a fighter um when it was got so difficult now it wasn't you know, the, the 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 end objective wasn't just to have a teak tough body you know glistening you know with with sweat and six pack you know that's a very nice but that was all a byproduct of being training being the hardest trainer in the gym so when my coach asked everyone to do a hundred push-ups some of them would begrudgingly doing it after a lot of moaning chaps I didn't even start counting until I'd done a hundred <laughs> mindset. You see, I did the first hundred for me, the other hundred for him. And this is very important. It's a mindset. I loved the journey. I, I reveled in the pain because I knew on the other side of that was was literally um you know, glory, you know, for one, but you know, the, the, therein it lies, you know, why just the bodybuilder, you know, it doesn't, the eighth, the ninth, tenth, it's in the tenth one, the one that burns the most, that is stripping down his muscle fibres, and he, and he relishes it, he grows to look forward to that, why? Because he knows the growth is in the struggle. Definitely. Another point that I wanted to make is, is it just like, a lot of people kind of, kind of inflate what happiness should be like they want the better car like you say you want the motorbike the better motorbike the bigger house like i'm a big believer in the fact that you kind of need to decrease what you need to be happy like decreasing your kind of expectation on happiness i was just wondering if you can say anything a little bit about that like just decrease well, what you need yeah again that's it's not as i say there has to be it's a good point and i do want to talk you know, people do talk about that the the line of least resistance so if you look at feng shui you know or, or, or you or you actually remove things the greater the whole of the sum is but but i think there's a there's a this defining or there's a split point here where we i believe it's a trap to think that inherently more is bad no i don't i don't necessarily think so but i think it is important for you as an individual for every single one of your listeners to identify what makes them happy because what i currently what what i did previously chaps was you know i was shown uh, a watch of taguer and rolex i bought into that i never did like my, my own study like actually do i like that myself if you do fine that's not a problem do i like that bmw or do i like it because i think my neighbors will see me with with more respect we have to analyze our thoughts because i think there's there's too much passivity and, you know, we just do, you know, we, we go along with the crowd. You know, we think we have to go to the Maldives to be happy. As I said, I went, it was very nice. But fundamentally, you can be just as happy in your own garden. This is the truth. So, as I say, I would just encourage each and every person to not necessarily strip away, but to identify if all more, you know, more, more, more consumption, conspicuous consumption does make one happy. And as I say, I gently allude, only speaking for myself, that no, it doesn't. As you say, sometimes less is more. Okay. And um, one thing that I did want to want to ask you, you mentioned change a little bit earlier. Um, my question is, do you think that as you get older, uh, happiness changes? in terms of maybe what makes you happy or, or just the, the general phenomenon itself? 
I would certainly hope so. My friend. I would certainly. Cer- <laughs> let's just say some of the things that make me happy in inverted commas. I was doing as a young man. I would shudder at doing now. So no judgment here. But speaking for myself, if one is even vaguely serious about self improvement, which your listeners all are, I would jolly well hope that your attitudes on what makes you happy does change and as an example what i'm saying is you know drinking 15 pints and having a split when you're 16 and 17 oh yes if you asked me then was i happy i would have said in an unconscious neanderthal like way yes i am thank you now at the moment and you would have got a, fi- a high five from us like batman you machine the thought of doing that now it just fills me with dread no judgment here no judgment but what i'm saying for me you can be feeling that time a little bit more prudently and that's that's all i'm going to say there but yeah hopefully as you get older yes what makes you happy i would hope does change um i know we haven't really touched on it yet but you know you said about or you said in your bio to you sent over to me that you've had two near-death experiences like just because one wasn't enough um what did you learn from your near-death experiences (laughs) short chaps and seize it by the scrap of the neck and you know live it up live it up as i say you know i've been very very fortunate uh, in my life, both in some interesting violent encounters and certainly some very near fatal motorbike accidents that goodness me, life is short. And, you know, it's often said it's you know, become a cliche or, you know, tomorrow's not promised or you might get hit by a bus. But the joke is, you know, one day will be your last. So the point being, we might as well try and enjoy it within reason to the best of our ability. Do something positive, do something you're passionate about in the meantime. And, you know, really just try and find your place in the world, continuously self-improve and just live it up because, you know, time is promised to no one. So, Cool. Um, I was just wondering, do you, do you think there's actually any um, sort of clear comparisons between entrepreneurship and actual fighting? Oh, goodness me, the, the parallels are striking. They're, they're, I mean, tenacity, the ability to, to, to not give up, to roll with the punches, to, you know, to, to you know, sometimes I lead, the ropes I used to occasionally lean on, at least when the fighters were in the ring, my friends, and not the fields. You know, there are times when you have to take a breather from one's business. You know, the, the, the inclement weather conditions of business, similar to the ups and downs in the fight, the tenacity to bite down on your gum shield when you're getting hit. That That's like a metaphor for, you know, the business isn't always going to be smooth sailing you know you've got to roll with the punches that life throws you so the the similarities are striking but again we keep going back to the mindset chaps you look at the champions muhammad ali alluded to the fact that he hated training every second of it nay but he knew if he suffered now he would get to live eternity as a champion and as he still does very fondly in our minds now he's transcended the sport but that was because when times got tough he stuck with it And that is, again, goes back to mindset. But a lot of us have got a a passive, weak mindset. So when times get going, a lot of us, friends, I hate to say, we're looking for the nearest exit. And, you know, I had it on the door. You had a lot of people that, you know, don't get me wrong, martial arts, they could, you know, they could chop those bricks really nicely. And that looked impressively. Once it started kicking off on the door, they were looking for the exit. And this is like life. 
Violence, real violence is ugly. There's nothing glamorous about that, my friends. But that is like life. It's not always pretty, is it? You know, the perfect relationship, the perfect business. If people, if your listeners didn't know, it doesn't exist. But (laughs) to say it can't be good and much better, but this is the thing. We've got to go from fantasy to to so-called reality, and it's what we decide it to be. Um. I really love this. Um, I think I don't know the actual quote, but I know Zig Ziglar says it. And he kind of says, like, a lot of people wait till they start feeling really bad before they pick up the book again. Like, how important do you think it is to be like topping up your happiness daily? Uh, essential in a nutshell, because the way I, I, I look at it, Jem, is that I now do it for a living you know i'm in and around happiness of motivating people through speaking one-on-one with like as my role as a life coach uh volunteering work even as a personal trainer obviously with my books as well it's it's but yeah i do it and i need to do it daily how much more so for the average guy that's just going to a crappy job he hates you know still you know not give up on his dream but that's part-time you know um you know it's it's necessary a steady diet through both what you ingest through reading watching listening to it's got to be positive because quite frankly you can't sustain any kind of habit without that you know again to use that gym analogy i see it you know the guy that looks really cut really good he doesn't train once in a while my friends it's consistent and that point can be taken, you know, you want a consistently good relationship with one's peers or, or, or girlfriend, whatever. You've got to consistently put in some goodness. It's no good doing the, something once in a while. So, again, you know, get your mindset right, consistency and, uh, yeah, a steady diet, it, nay daily, of um, positivity, I think is required, yes. Just want to quickly touch on, because I'm, I'm a bit of a health fanatic myself, and could you just talk a little bit about the sort of um, relationship between like, well, like health, like what you eat and exercise and happiness? Because I know it's so important, but a lot of people kind of overlook these sort of quick wins you get. Because I've, I've been, I did a bit of stretching this morning and I pick, you go do a few pull-ups and you just feel so much better just by just doing such a little amount sometimes. Uh, it's, it's, it's well said. And you're right on the money there. Again, in, ter- in terms of changing one's state in the first instance even your people think you have to go to a himalayan retreat and or meditate for 10 years not at all as you say just by moving one's body our bodies were made to move lots of us to our jobs you know not through no fault of one's own you know we're living sedentary lives we drive more than we walk you know we may go to an office sit down eight or nine hours come home watch some tv but as you say just by moving literally seconds in the morning I, as soon as i wake up and after i've said yippee it's another day i get down on the floor and bang out some press-ups you know do some stretching do some set out as you say stretch change the physicality of oneself in turn directly affects one's mood for the better so yeah no the link is uh, and again not just because i said those that are um impressed by modern science or whatever go go and do the research it's all there you know the the the, the effects are very very linked now that movement uh, whether it be walking or running uh you know directly affects one's um, state of mind and well-being. Okay, awesome. We've um, decided to set somewhat of a a little challenge for you. How much of a challenge it will be, we don't know. Uh, (laughs) What with you being a happiness coach, so you could find it quite easy. Uh, But obviously, uh, you've got your book, um, you know, How to Be Happier in the Next 24 Hours. Um, So the challenge we've kind of set for you is uh, to give our listeners a rundown of how they can be happier in the next 24 minutes. 
Excellent. Wow. I mean, it, it gets really deep because the joke is, I mean, people wouldn't believe me, but it can get even, you know, you could forget how to be happy next 24 minutes. You could be happy in the next 24 seconds. No way. If, if you make a decision to be, again, I've got to repeat that because people will miss this. And again, it's hidden. The greatest truths are hidden in plain sight, my friends. You want it to be greatly esoteric, but you, it starts with a decision. I don't care what's going on, not in an unkind way, but, you know, you could be, you could have debts at the moment. You could be doing the job you hate. You could be in debt. You could be, you know, your, your relationship, your very life is falling apart. With all that being said, right now, people can do it with me as they're listening, but you can make a decision. With all that being said, that said I decide from this point on now and from this point on to be happy. Now, that, as all of this talk has alluded to, you have to then back that up by correct thinking, correct eating, exercise, positive things daily, cutting out the negative news, maybe dialing down if you smoke a bit of whatever, you know, supporting it by good habits, but starting now, deciding to be a happier person. Now, with that decision being said, if you're serious about it, you back that up by the things I spoke about, right thought, right speech, passion backing it up by you know the good actions all the things you've spoken about today chaps and literally it that 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 it's it starts with a decision and that can alter fundamentally the rest of not just today the rest of the week and month but the rest of your life it starts with a decision i decide now and for the rest of my days to be a happier more joy filled joyful person great answer um this podcast is called the powerful nonsense podcast so we have these questions that we ask everybody we interview and the, f- the first question is what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given followed by what's the biggest loads of nonsense you've ever heard oh well okay first believe in yourself believe in yourself believe in yourself and i can i can i can always say i can even if you can't you will figure it out but tell yourself i can believe that with a passion it will then become a self-fulfilling prophecy and you will do it you know you could you can do anything you know i'm not saying it'll be easy you know that that's commonly misunderstood you go oh yes i want to be the best bodybuilder the best sprinter in the world no i didn't say it'd be easy but with daily consistent hard work and never giving up you will at minimum be a better you and by an an infinite amount than you were you know whenever you started you made that decision so that's certainly what i would like to say believe in yourself and i can the biggest load of nonsense and bull i have ever been told is a leopard can't change his spots hello i'm living proof you can so let's get that right i don't want to hear this 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 Ball crap that gets passed <laughs> down from generation to I call them mind viruses that inherited and they're never explored or exposed for the lies they are. Because if I believe the t- guys, the stuff I could, t- you know, I was told after one of my accidents I would never walk again. Bullshit. I'm here today, but you've got to be careful for what you, you, you listen because a lot of your peers, a lot of so called friends and family members, a lot of your environment, a lot of people who they roll with, they're not, they're not supporting you you know you've got to be your own best supporter that's why one self-talk is so important believe in yourself tell yourself you can go out and make it happen excellent excellent really good answer um we've also got another question that we ask 
Um, obviously, you spoke earlier about you know constantly needing to uh, read loads of books and and, and consume uh, things just to kind of, for personal development purposes, essentially. Uh, so, do you have uh, like a top book? Like, if if someone was going to read only one book in the next year, or a top I mean, heaven, heaven forbid, heaven yeah. forbid. But if they were only going to read the one, one book in the next year, what book would you recommend? Unstoppable by James Lambert. Hey. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> you've got you've got to get that in there, chaps. But no, of Absolutely. course, there, there are there are some profoundly any book can be a portal into a whole new universe of self discovery and, and self knowledge. There, there are so many books. I tell you, to to keep it to just. One or two is is an enormous help because you know I'm a lover of the written word and so on. I think some some that come to mind because you know I do want to answer the question. Some that come to mind would certainly be anything by Robin Sharma, but particularly the the Greatness Guide. He's got the Greatness Guide one and two, but for the sake of simplicity, let's just say the Greatness Guide by Robin Sharma. His most popular book was, I believe. The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, for your listeners. Out there, again, I have to put out a personal favourite of mine, uh, an author you chaps will probably be familiar with, amazing man, Paolo Coelho, and Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist, specifically. Very, very powerful book for all the entrepreneurs that are listening, business, anyone that wants to get anything done. Lovely story, but it's very multifaceted. And just, um, as I say... uh, I think I think that that that's two that come to mind. Um, but there's so many chaps. There's there's honestly, there's there's so many good pieces of work by people like I don't know Wayne Dyer, as you've alluded to Zig Ziglar. There's great great books by Brian Tracy, Eric Thomas. The you know the list just goes on and on. It's uh it's amazing amazing stuff out there. You know. Okay, and finally, so if people have loved what they've heard, they've they really want to get to know you a little bit more, or maybe want to read your stuff. Like, how can people get in contact with you? How can they purchase your books? I know I'll put the links onto the blog, but yeah, if you can give Thank a little you. bit of information. Absolutely, yes. Well, I've got an Amazon author page on Amazon, so that can be found iPhone.co.uk or the .com site. But that would just be under my name, James Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T. I've got a website www.jameslambertcoaching.co.uk um, also on Twitter my handle's at mrhappy79 um, uh, I suppose Facebook if anyone wanted to link up with me on there I've now got mm-hmm. a public page so again it's just under James Lambert but yeah they're the main ways um, chaps and uh, to keep in touch with me follow my work look out for my work on Amazon and there is actually a link on the um, website now, James Lambert Coaching. So hopefully people you have made it quite easy to to get hold of some of the materials now. Excellent. So it's it's been a pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure we'd love to have you back at some point in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely have you back. I'd love it. It's been a pleasure talking to you, chaps. Really enjoyed your company and the time's just flown by. So that was James Lambert. What Great a legend. Guy. What a legend. What a legend indeed. Very, very nice guy. And he just a really, really interesting take on the world and, and just happiness in general. What did you think, Jim? I really liked it, but for me the most powerful point he made was the fact that you just have to make the decision to be happy. Mm-hmm. Like it's in your power. He he as he said, like a leopard can change his spots and it just really comes down to like, do you want to enough? Mm-hmm. yeah definitely what about you uh yeah kind of the same thing really when when we set him that little challenge i was half expecting a list of things that you could do 
just like affirmations and this sort of thing. But that, actually what he said surprised me, but in a kind of, oh yeah, of course, kind of way. Um, yeah, just really, really, really interesting guy and, and lovely, lovely guy as well. I think it goes back to a lot of what we say, like a lot of this, whether it's business, whether it's relationships, whatever, it all comes down to that mindset. It seems mm-hmm. that everybody understands, the people we interview anyway, seem to understand that it's the mind that controls everything. If you can kind of get hold of those reins, then you you can really take control of your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I hope you all enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed that interview because we came out of that afterwards being like yeah that was so good (laughs) uh in those voices as well obviously um yeah so we're gonna wrap things up as we always do first things first if you've got anything you want us to discuss or any feedback on the show anything you'd like us to ping over to james perhaps or if you're somebody who who's quite interested in yourself and maybe would want to come on the onto the podcast if you that want to speak well. about something, then yeah, let us know. Then drop us a line. You can email me at Wayne at powerfulnonsense.com. You have to type it with the Wayne as well. No, <laughs> and Jem at powerfulnonsense.com. And that's Jem <laughs> spelled C-E-M. <laughs> uh, or if you prefer Twitter, as many of you do, you can tweet me, tweet me. I won't say the other one. At Wayne underscore Ingram. And Jem, which is, no, my Twitter is <laughs> at C-K-Y-I-L-D-I-Z. And I just want to say that um, I don't think I say enough, but at the end of um, every time we finish a podcast, what I do on powerfulnonce.com is put like a full breakdown of the episode and you can get all the links. So there'll be links to um, James's book, his website. There'll also be maybe links to books that we've discussed or just a breakdown of the episode to kind of refresh your mind. Yes, definitely. So check that out. And... The most important thing, which I say this every week, and we have apparently got, we've got a little bit of an issue because somebody has sent us a message saying, left a review on, on iTunes. It hasn't appeared. And it hasn't appeared. So we thank you for the the thought, but uh, we seem to be unable to see, see your review, which is a real I, shame. I reckon that's the case. I think that's what's happened. I think we've got thousands, so many reviews. That Everybody's like, your show's amazing. And Apple are just like, we don't know what to do with all these five-star reviews. They're yeah, they're just... inundated. With with these reviews, that's clearly what it's just, it's just going through the system. Yeah, and it's just taken away. It's like when you send your Christmas cards too late. Turn up in February. And yeah, they turn up in February because there's such a huge backlog. It makes sense, though, doesn't it? I mean, I get it? that with my Valentine's cards. Oh, yeah. Like, my Valentine's cards still haven't turned up for years gone, gone by. Well, I'm a bit worried for next year because if you have those sexy shoes on, Wayne, who knows what might happen? <laughs> you strutting down, the, strutting down the street in those bad boys. <laughs> I'll be getting Valentine's cards for my shoes. <laughs> but anyway, um, please do leave a review for us um, if you if you do enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, you're all right. You don't need to leave a review. But then if you don't enjoy the show, why are you still listening like, to us like rambling James on said, it? if you've got nothing good to say, it's just probably better just <laughs> keeping still. Although we do appreciate honesty. Um, yeah, so if, it, if it's stuff that you want us to improve, email us. If it's stuff you love, Review it on iTunes. That that's our deal. Um, but yeah, so leave a review on iTunes. Uh, hopefully, it will show up. I'm I'm guessing it will. Uh, I'm hoping this is just a blip. But yeah, please leave a review. It really really does help boost the show, boost the profile of the show, and I'm going to do it again. It really does oh, help yeah. us get really cool guests to do interviews. Cool guests like James Lambert, the new edition, blessing, Kyle Eschenroder. Marns Denton and English Monroe.
nice one. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. <laughs> I'm gonna try and remember. I haven't even got them written down. This is all from memory, so I'm gonna try and keep keep trying to do this. Cool. So, anyway, so the last. list will get long. It will be like a five minute list if you don't start leaving those reviews. <laughs> That's my threat to you guys. <laughs> anyway we are out of here so thanks again for listening i hope you're enjoying the content we're loving doing what we're doing so um, absolutely have a great week love you all very much i've said that courtney have a great week have a great week ta-ra ta-ra